This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of patellar tendon rupture from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. A patellar tendon rupture is a traumatic rupture of the patellar tendon caused by a tension overload during activity in a patient at risk. Diagnosis can be confirmed by physical exam and radiographs for complete tears. Partial tears may need an MRI to confirm the diagnosis. Treatment for complete tears is timely surgical repair to optimize the chance of healing. Partial tears with an intact extensor mechanism may be treated with immobilization. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as the incidence of patellar tendon rupture, these injuries are rare and affects less than one per 100,000 people annually. As far as the demographics, patellar tendon ruptures most commonly occur in the third and fourth decade of life, and males are more commonly affected than females. As far as anatomic location, know that quadriceps tendon rupture is more common than patellar tendon ruptures in a 2 to 1 ratio. Now let's talk about some risk factors for patellar tendon rupture. You may see weakening of collagen structure in systemic diseases, local factors, or other reasons. So in terms of systemic diseases, the ones that are associated with bilateral ruptures include diabetes mellitus, systemic lupus erythematosus, rheumatoid arthritis, and chronic renal disease. Local factors can include patellar degeneration, which is the most common, previous injury, and patellar tendinopathy. Other causes can include corticosteroid injections. Moving on to the etiology of patellar tendon ruptures, with respect to pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury involves tensile overload of the extensor mechanism. For example, sudden quadriceps contraction with the knee in a flex position, for example, jumping sports or missing a step on the stairs. Most ruptures occur with the knee in a flex position. Know that the greatest forces on the tendon are when the knee is in flexion of greater than 60 degrees. The ratio of patellar tendon force to quad tendon force is greater than 1 at less than 45 degrees and less than 1 at greater than 45 degrees. At smaller flexion angles, the patellofemoral contact point is at the distal pole of the patella, giving the quadriceps tendon a mechanical advantage. Now let's talk about the pathoanatomy and know that there are three patterns of injury in the setting of patellar tendon ruptures. These are avulsion with or without bone from the proximal insertion slash inferior pole of the patella, which is the most common, and know that the strain at the tendon-bone interface is three to four times the strain at the mid-substance. Another pattern of injury is a mid-substance tear, and finally the third pattern of injury is distal avulsion from the tibial tubercle. In terms of pathobiology, rupture is usually the result of end-stage or long-standing chronic tendon degeneration. Some associated conditions with patellar tendon rupture include certain orthopedic conditions like tibial tubercle avulsion, patella fractures, as well as TKA extensor mechanism rupture. Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy. The extensor mechanism of the knee is composed of the quadriceps tendon, the patellar tendon, and the tibial tubercle. The blood supply to the patellar tendon comes from the infrapatellar fat pad and retinacular structures, specifically the medial and lateral inferior geniculate arteries. In terms of biomechanics, as far as forces in the patellar tendon, when you are ascending stairs is three times body weight, and to rupture a normal tendon is 17 times body weight. In terms of classification of patellar tendon ruptures, this is an anatomic classification, which is divided into incomplete tear and complete tear. An incomplete tear corresponds to an intact extensor mechanism, and in some cases can be treated non-operatively. Complete tears corresponds to patella alta with a palpable defect and is treated with surgical repair. Moving on to the presentation of patellar tendon ruptures, these patients will have a history of a jumping event with a sudden quadriceps contraction with the knee in a flex position, for example, jumping sports and missing a step on the stairs as we previously mentioned. The patient will often hear slash feel a popping sensation. 
Symptoms can include infrapatellar pain, immediate swelling, and difficulty weight-bearing. On physical exam, inspection may reveal elevation of patella height. Usually, these injuries are associated with a large hemarthrosis and ecchymosis. There will be localized tenderness and a palpable gap below the inferior pole of the patella. Motion assessment may reveal reduced range of motion of the knee and difficulty bearing weight due to pain. If only the tendon is ruptured and the retinaculum is intact, active extension will be possible, but will have extensor lag of a few degrees. Provocative tests include straight leg raise. That is, these patients are unable to perform an active straight leg raise or maintain a passively extended knee. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP and lateral of the knee. These views should be taken with the knee in flexion, ideally 30 degrees. Optional views can include merchant or skyline views. In terms of findings, patella alta is seen in complete ruptures, and there are various measurements indicating patella alta. The insol salvati ratio is greater than 1.2, with normal between 0.8 and 1.2. Blackburn peel ratio is greater than 1, where normal is between 0.5 and 1. And the Catton de Champs ratio is greater than 1.3, with normal between 0.6 and 1.3. Ultrasound can be indicated in suspected acute and chronic injuries. As far as findings, ultrasound can be effective at detecting and localizing disruption. However, keep in mind this is operator and user dependent. An MRI will differentiate partial from complete tendon ruptures and is the most sensitive imaging modality. Findings will show site of disruption, presence or absence of tendon degeneration, patellar position, and associated soft tissue injuries. As far as diagnosis, this can be confirmed by physical exam and radiographs for complete tears. Partial tears may need an MRI to confirm the diagnosis. Moving on to treatment for patellar tendon ruptures, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes immobilization in full extension, and this is indicated in partial tears with an intact extensor mechanism. As far as modalities, immobilization should include a hinged knee brace locked in extension for six weeks with weight bearing. Rehabilitation includes a progressive active flexion slash passive extension protocol. Operative options include primary repair or a tendon reconstruction. Primary repair is indicated in complete patellar tendon ruptures and when you have the ability to approximate the tendon at the site of disruption. Techniques include an end-to-end -end repair, a transosseous tendon repair, and a suture anchor tendon repair. Rehabilitation will include a locked extension brace with immediate weight bearing for six weeks and an early motion protocol at 7 to 10 days with a focus on passive extension and active flexion. In terms of outcomes, biomechanical studies have shown less gap formation with suture anchor repair compared to transosseous repair. Clinical studies have also shown a significant decrease in re-rupture rate with the use of suture anchors compared to transosseous repair. As far as tendon reconstruction, tendon reconstruction is also indicated in the setting of chronic tears that are greater than 6 to 8 weeks out from injury. Techniques can include an ipsilateral semitendinosis or gracilis autograft, central quadriceps tendon patellar bone autograft, or contralateral bone patellar tendon bone autograft or allograft. Now let's talk about some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. So starting with non-operative treatment and immobilization, the protocol is similar to the post-operative protocol, which we'll discuss in a moment. A direct primary repair is approached with a longitudinal midline incision, then exposure of the rupture and adjacent retinacula, you will then debride the ends of the rupture, and for subacute tears, which are defined as greater than two weeks out from the injury, you can do a quadplasty or scar tissue release to facilitate tendon approximation. As far as techniques, this can include an end-to-end -end technique, a transosseous tendon repair, or suture anchor tendon repair. So an end-to-end -end technique will approximate the tendon at the site of rupture, and non-absorbable sutures are woven with a locking stitch. 
In a transosseous tendon repair, you will suture the patellar tendon to the patella with a number 5 non-absorbable transosseous suture. You will then drill two transpatellar bony tunnels and pass the sutures through the tunnels and tie over the top of the patella. This can be protected with a cerclage wire or non-absorbable tape between the patella and tibial tuberosity. As far as suture anchor tendon repair, the number of anchors is debatable, but most authors advocate for at least two anchors. Now let's talk about postoperative rehabilitation. And remember again that the non-operative treatment protocol is similar to this postoperative rehabilitation protocol. So in terms of weight bearing, patients may weight bear early with a protected knee brace locked in extension. The goal is brace-free ambulation by six weeks. As far as early motion, this begins at seven to 10 days. That is, you will have controlled initiation of knee range of motion at seven to 10 days. Exercises to optimize the range of motion and minimize stress on the repair include passive extension and active closed chain flexion or heel slides, as well as prone open chain knee flexion. The goal is brace-free ambulation, full knee extension, and 120 degrees of knee flexion by six weeks. And as far as return to sport, full return to sport is expected at six months. Now let's talk about tendon reconstruction. As far as the approach, a retracted patella may require extensive surgical release. This may include quadplasty and release of scar tissue. In terms of techniques, graft sources can be an autograft like an ipsilateral gracilis, semitendinosus, and quadriceps autografts have all been used. You can also use an allograft tendon or ligament. As far as the technique, the free ends of the tendon are passed through transosseous holes of the patella and then through a transosseous hole within the tibial tubercle to make a complete circle graft. Now let's talk about some surgical complications. The ones to know include knee stiffness, re-tear, infection, and quadriceps atrophy. As far as knee stiffness, in terms of incidence, this is the most common complication. Risk factors include delay in surgical treatment and delay in initiating a post-operative range of motion protocol. Treatment can include manipulation under anesthesia if flexion is less than 120 degrees at 6 to 12 weeks post-op. Lysis of adhesion should be done if flexion is less than 120 degrees after greater than 12 weeks post-op. Moving on to re-tear, the incidence is approximately 8% with transosseous direct primary repair, or 1-2% following suture anchor repair. Treatment is primary repair if it's acute and adequate tendon quality remains. A reconstruction should be carried out for chronic lesions as well as in the setting of poor tendon quality. Infection has an incidence of approximately 2% following surgery. Finally, in terms of quadriceps atrophy, as far as incidence, this is the second most common complication. However, keep in mind this does not compromise the return of strength. Treatment in the setting of quadriceps atrophy is physical therapy. Now, let's end this review session talking about prognosis after patellar tendon rupture. As far as outcome with treatment, these injuries have excellent outcomes seen with early repair. In terms of prognostic variables, the most important prognostic factor for complete tears is timing of repair. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 39-year-old male with chronic renal disease and type 2 diabetes mellitus fell one week ago after slipping on ice. He is unable to bear weight on the right lower extremity or perform active knee extension. He reports no prior history of knee pain or instability. Lachman, posterior drawer, posterolateral recurvatum testing are deferred secondary to patient's pain. He has a palpable dorsalis pedis pulse, but does have neuropathy, as determined by Sems-Weinstein filament testing. Radiograph reveals patella alta. Sagittal T1 and T2 images show complete patellar tendon rupture. What is the most appropriate initial plan for management? And the choices are 1. Primary repair of the injured structure. 
two primary repair of the injured structure combined with an anterior and medial tibial tubercle transfer, three immobilization of the knee in full extension with a progressive weight-bearing exercise program, four semitendinosus or gracilis tendon autograph reconstruction of the injured structure, and five CT angiography followed by primary repair of the injured structure if the limb has vascular stability. The correct answer to this question is one, primary repair of the injured structure. So the clinical presentation, exam, and images described are consistent with an acute patellar tendon rupture. Primary surgical repair within two weeks of injury is recommended to prevent extensor mechanism contracture. Patellar tendon ruptures typically occur in patients younger than 40 years old. Most ruptures occur at the junction of the tendon and distal pole of the patella. Matava et al. presents a level 5 review on patellar tendon ruptures and states that active knee extension is permitted at three weeks postoperatively. Non-weight-bearing movement exercises like heel slides are encouraged. This can incorporate active knee flexion with passive extension. Alternatively, active knee flexion in the prone position with passive knee extension can be performed. Open chain strengthening exercises such as leg extensions are started later, as are weight-bearing resistance exercises like squats, lunges, and leg presses. Volk et al. discussed potential complications and pitfalls of patients with the management of extensor mechanism injuries. They warned that complications can consist of misdiagnosis, delayed surgery, failed repair due to poor surgical planning of the injury site, or wound infection. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, the patient has a ruptured patellar tendon and does not have a history of patellar lateral instability that would warrant a tibial tubercle anteriorizing and medializing osteotomy, otherwise known as a Fulkerson osteotomy. Answer 3, immobilization in a hinged knee brace locked in full extension is only indicated for partial patellar tendon tears where patients have intact extensor mechanisms. Answer 4, semitendinosus or gracilis tendon autograph reconstruction of the patellar tendon is only reserved for cases where primary repair is not sufficient to restore the extensor mechanism and augmentation with other tissues is required. This surgical option may be needed intraoperatively, however should not be the preferred initial management option. And finally, answer 5, there is no indication from the history and examination that the patient has sustained a knee dislocation that warrants further vascular evaluation. The patient has palpable pulses, so CT angiography is not indicated in this case. And moving on to the final question, which of the following rehabilitation exercises provides for restoration of range of motion while limiting stress on the repair of a ruptured patellar tendon? And the choices are 1, active open chain flexion and active closed chain extension, 2, passive flexion and active closed chain extension, 3, active closed chain flexion and active open chain extension, 4, active flexion and passive extension, and 5, passive flexion and active open chain extension. The correct answer to this question is 4, active flexion and passive extension. So to avoid stress on the repair, no form of active extension should be used for at least 4 to 6 weeks, but passive extension is allowed. Closed versus open chain refers to strengthening exercises, not just range of motion. Closed kinetic chain exercises occurs when the terminal or distal segment of an appendage is fixed, like a squat, leg press, or pull-up. Open kinetic chain exercises occur when the terminal or distal segment is free to move, like a leg extension slash hamstring curl. In general, open chain exercises tend to produce greater shear stresses than closed chain. In the case of patellar or quad tendon repair, active closed or open chain flexion may be allowed with passive extension. Many of the rehab studies have looked at the effects of various exercises with respect to ACL graft strain, and those results are extrapolated to guide rehab principles. 
Stewart et al. showed that for common closed-chain exercises like squats and lunges, the shear force is predominantly posterior and therefore may not stress an ACL graft. The study by Wilk et al. showed the differences in contact forces and EMG activity for various closed and open-chain exercises. Open-chain terminal knee extension provided the greatest anterior shear. That's all for this review about patellar tendon rupture. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.